Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. At C3, we exist to help people pattern their lives after Jesus. This message was first given as part of our teaching series at C3. All right, we are continuing the Gospel of Mark uh, today. So if you have your Bible with you or you can follow along on the screen, uh, turn to Mark chapter 11, and we'll pick up with verse 12. Starting at verse 12, it says, The next day they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to go find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit of you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were bullying and selling there. Or sorry, not bullying, buying and selling there. There we go. That's a big difference. Buying, they might have been bullies. They might have been bullies. Buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for the nations, for all nations? But you have made it into a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins. Today's sermon title is called A Bizarre Story. Okay, hopefully you enjoyed that little play on words. If you didn't get it, that's okay. Google the word bizarre. I didn't know what a bizarre was until my sister started doing bazaars and now she sells stuff. So there you go. What is happening in this story? Like what is going on? Jesus is talking to trees. Okay. Uh, He's hungry or what seems a little hangry. Um, He's gone into the church bake sale and he's not happy. Maybe they didn't have his favorite brownie or something. What is going on? Jesus starts turning in over uh, tables in the temple. Has he turned green? Is he the incredible Hulk all of a sudden? What happened to nice Jesus who's the lamb? Uh, What happened to turn the other cheek? Where's peaceful nice Jesus at? Uh, He seems to be causing a disturbance here. What Jesus is doing in this passage is deeply a prophetic uh, action, which he's taking himself and he's replacing the, the center and true worship of God's presence that's in the temple. So over the next couple of chapters, you'll see a lot of references to Jesus and you'll see a lot of references to the temple. And so what Jesus is going to actually replace the temple, if that makes sense. 
Jesus' death and resurrection will actually bring an end to the sacrificial system that's going on, been going on since the time of Moses. So this has been going on a long, 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 long time because Jesus is going to be the one true, perfect sacrifice that will pay for everybody's sins, right? So no more will you have to bring uh, your lamb or your pigeon or your dove or whatever to the temple, okay? Jesus is going to what's called a atone for people's sins. To atone means to cover over one's death. And this goes back all the way to, or a couple, from a couple weeks ago, when Jesus announced that he was going to die for all everybody's sins. He said, for the son of man to gave his, came to give his life as a ransom for many, meaning that Jesus will pay the price that we deserve on the cross, and it's through his death and resurrection, resurrection, not anything that we do, but by believing in him that we are given forgiveness and that we are made right in a right relationship between God and with we are in, put into a right relation with each other as we find forgiveness. Verse 12, and looking in today's passage, it says, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. I'm a little hungry right now. Almost lunch. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, uh, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Uh, then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples uh, heard him say it. Jesus knows it's not the season for figs. It says right here. So what is Jesus going up to this tree and saying, well, there's no figs here. I'm going to curse you. And so you'll never have figs again. What the, what the gospel writer Mark is trying to do in this passage is he's doing what's called a Mark Markin sandwich, okay? So like, just like a normal sandwich where you have bread, meat, and bread. Like the good stuff, it's right there in the middle. And so what's happening is that the, the, the bread, right? So you have the tree on either side and the temple story is right there in the meaning, which, me, which is Mark is trying to do is that you almost have like a, a real life object lesson or, or like a real living parable right here with this fig tree of what's really going on in the temple. So the whole point of this weird, uh, this weird passage is what's going on in the activity that's going on in the temple. Now we've talked about sandwiches. We've talked about figs. Everybody is getting hungry. Going on to verse 15, it says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. When we think about the temple, we think about maybe just like the size of a church or whatever. This place was huge, okay? Some scholars think that this, this place was about as big, it was about a quarter of the size of Jerusalem, or maybe a fifth of the size. This place is massive, and it is very, very busy. This is the Passover time, so tens of thousands of people are on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover uh, celebration, their exile out of Egypt uh, and into the promised land, all right? And, and they're coming there, and uh, they've set up in the, the outer courts, right? There was all of these, they, there was like these different sections, and on their way out was the, called the Gentile courts. And so there's money changers there, there's uh, uh, places where you can kind of, um, you can buy your perfect lamb there and then have it kind of slaughtered and to pay for your sins and all of those kind of things. So 
But as you moved in, there was the Gentile court, which Gentile is basically anybody who's non-Jewish. As you moved in, there was, like a, there was like a section for Jewish women. And then as you go further in, there's a place for Jewish men. And as you get closer and closer and closer, there's called what's called the Holy of Holies. And this is like the closest that you could get to God. And, and the priest, one priest was allowed to go in once a year into the Holy of Holies. There was a big curtain that kind of, that, that, that hid the Holy of Holies. And then on Yom Kippur, uh, on the Jewish celebration, one priest was allowed to go in and they would have to sacrifice, make a sacrifice. And then they were allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. But the Gentiles, the people who were uh, God-fearing, but, but not uh, worshipers of the one true God, but were not Jewish, they were pushed to the outsides, um, but all of their space is taken up, and they can't really pray or worship there. And if they wanted to go any farther in, there was actually signs up all over the place that said, if you go beyond this point, you will be killed. What a friendly welcome to church, right? Could you imagine that? Like, you're, well, you're allowed to sit in the, in the back row, but if you sit in, I wish somebody would sit in the front row. It's very lonely up here, guys. May, <laughs> but, you know, like, could you imagine if we had that? You're, you're allowed to come in this far, but you're not allowed to come in this far to God. And so the temple, this is a very, like, interesting like process that's going on here. There's money changing booths everywhere. So like these Jews that would come from all of these different countries into to coming into Jerusalem, they could exchange uh, to have the right money so that they can go and buy the right lamb. And this is kind of like organized chaos. The, the historian Josephus records at one time, there were 255,000 lambs that were bought, sold, and slaughtered during one week of the Passover. Could you imagine just the stench, like the smell? And I was thinking like, how would you clean this up? I would get my power washer. That's what I would do and like spray all this. They didn't have power washers back then. Like it, to me, this just seems like this would be uh, both amazing, but also kind of like uh, dirty. Organized chaos, I think is like the best way that I would describe it. But hour by hour, worshipers would come to the temple. They would exchange their munch, money into official coinage they bought animals and that they were guaranteed uh, for the perfect sacrifice. Now, you could bring your own perfect sacrifice to the temple, but if you're journeying from a long ways away, um, your animal could get, get attacked. Uh, a robber could come and steal it. You could get to the temple and maybe you think it's perfect, but maybe somebody doesn't think it's perfect. So there's a lot that can happen along on that journey. And so a lot of people, they would just like not take the risk and they would come and they would buy an animal there to sacrifice. It says here that he, uh, moving on in our passage, it says, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the courts. Uh, doves, uh, if you remember, uh, if, you, if you know a little bit about the gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 2, um, uh, Mary and Joseph, they actually go to the temple and they buy, two, they buy turtle doves or pigeons. Um, and, and what uh, these, uh, the, the birds were basically for is that they were for the poor. So Jesus' family, Jesus grew up poor, and it was basically it was the purification of women or the cleansing of Lepers. So what Jesus could be really upset about is that they were price gouging the poor here. 
Uh, but notice that Jesus, that he, he flips over some tables and he, he drives people out. I think in the book of John, he says that he kind of chases people around with a whip, right? But Jesus, what he doesn't do is he, he doesn't uh, burn the place down to the ground. Uh, he doesn't lead troops in there into the, t- the temple. What Jesus is doing is he's temporary, temporarily interrupting an economic activity to make a prophetic statement, okay? So, you know, Jesus is, could have been a lot worse, but Jesus here is just interrupting an economic activity to temporarily make a prophetic statement. In verse 17, it says, And he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers or a cave of thieves. God made a covenant with Israel uh, since the time of Abraham that they were to be a people that was blessed to be a blessing. That God's main purpose was that the nations would know the one true God through this people. That they were supposed to be like a light shining on the hill, attracting people to the very presence of God. And the temple was supposed to be this portal, like right between heaven and earth, right? It was supposed to be the the place where you could come and experience the one true God. But rather than being a place of welcome to the nation, it became a place of exclusion to them. And drawing from the prophet Isaiah 56, in, in, in Isaiah 56, verse 7, where he says that my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a cave of thieves. And everyone is shocked. Why is everybody shocked? Everybody's amazed. Well, I think there's some amazed at two different levels. That I think some people are amazed because of Jesus is just his amazing teaching. But some people might be amazed because some people thought that the Messiah, the one true Savior, the, the, the coming anointed king, they were going to drive out all of the Gentiles. And yet this one's here standing in front of you, and he's saying, no, we're going to welcome all of those from different ethnicities. They thought that the Messiah would push out all of those Gentiles who the Jews saw that those people were unclean. They didn't want to be around them. They didn't want to get near them, right? They're unclean people. Get them out of here. And yet Jesus seems to be saying the opposite. And the religious leaders are furious because Jesus is directly challenging them and challenging the sacrificial system. Jesus goes on to say in verse 18, it says, The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Jesus was becoming more and more popular, right? It's starting to get out of control. And they can't control the crowds and what they're going to do. But how do you get rid of the problem? You get rid of Jesus. Jesus seems to be getting all of this attention, more and more, and Jesus is challenging their authority. And what's really interesting about the worship in the temple is that everybody seemed to be really, really busy, but it wasn't fruitful. Now think about the fig tree, right? What's the purpose of the fig tree? It's to produce fruit. 
The purpose of the temple was the place to have prayer, a place to offer God's forgiveness, to offer an encounter with the one true God, a place to get to know the one true God. And the one thing that it wasn't doing was that. They were busy, but it wasn't fruitful. Verse 19, it go, going on, it says, When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. This dead tree was like a prophetic symbol of what was going to happen to the temple. It's like Jesus is saying, all of those sacrifices that go on in the temple... I'm going to replace with my sacrifice. And not only will Jesus replace the temple and send his Holy Spirit into every believer so that you and I together, as when we gather together, we are like the temple of God. The church is now the temple of God because we have Jesus living inside of us. But actually, the temple, it's like a prophetic saying of what's going to happen because in AD 70, during the Jewish revolt against Rome, the temple is completely destroyed, minus like the Wailing Wall, which you can still go into Jerusalem today. I went there with uh, Pastor Bob. We led a group, and uh, it's, it's just like this incredible place where you can still go and to, to pray. It almost feels like this thin space still between like heaven and earth where like people go uh, in thousands and still like write their prayers and like stick it into like in between the bricks of the temple. Like it's, it's still there, like... A little bit of it's there, but the majority of it was all ruined uh, during the Jewish revolt against Rome in A.D. 70. Moving on in verse uh, 22, it says, Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt it in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Jesus uses a hyperbole uh, about a mountain and uh, being thrown into a sea uh, as an example of moving objects in our prayer life that often rabbis would use the word mountain to describe something that's like a big challenge or something that's going on. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you have faith, if you believe it, God can remove those obstacles in your life, that God can move mountains in your life. And in this particular passage, some scholars think that Jesus is particularly talking about the temple mount, as in the temple where uh, that the, the, they, they were offering the sacrifices. But anyway, that we all have these mountains, right? That a mountain is just code for any obstacle that's standing in our way. And it's by our faith in lo- alone in Jesus and our complete trust and reliance on him. And that's something that Mark is getting over, over and over and over and trying to get through to us that it takes just full trust in Jesus, of what Jesus can do in our lives. It's full reliance on what he can do, not about what we can do. 
Further, Jesus talks about unforgiveness. And sometimes unforgiveness can be like a barrier in our prayer life. That it's not right for us to receive forgiveness from Jesus and yet, and then, but hold unforgiveness to somebody else who has hurt us. That's called being a hypocrite, right? We can't do that. If we want to receive forgiveness in our lives, we need to forgive those who have hurt us because all of us, we've all done things that are hurtful. We've all done things that are damaging, right? We've all done things that where we where we've could have wrecked relationships in our lives, that we all need to receive forgiveness. Therefore, we all need to give forgiveness. And when we give forgiveness to other people, it's like that barrier is uh, removed out of, our, out of our prayer life. And it's like we get that more that intimacy in our prayer life with God. I love what Nikki Gumbel says. He says, the first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. The first to forget is the happiest. In our faith, there should be no going through the motions. There's no fake it to make it. There should be real tangible evidence or what I call fruit in your faith life. And think about the, the, the withering fig tree, right? Do you just have some leaves or do you have real tangible evidence of a real relationship with God? Is God shaping your heart from the inner life to the outer life? Because our outer life should match what's going on in the depths of our hearts. But that's really difficult to get to. Because if you really want to produce great fruit, it means that you've got to be vulnerable with God and others in the church. It means letting your guard down so that you can let God fully in and access every area of your life. There should be tangible fruit or evidence that you are in a deep relationship or an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. But sometimes we, we do. We get caught up in just going through the motions. We go to church, but there's no fire. There's no depth. There's no living relationship. It's just like a checklist, right? We, we tick off church. We did church. We did small group. And we go on with our life. And when we just go through the motions, we're just becoming like those religious leaders, right? We're doing, we're busy, but we're not necessarily having fruitful lives. It's possible to go to church, but not have a real living faith. In James 2, verse 26, it says, As the body without, is out, without spirit is dead, so our faith without deeds is dead. The truth is that you can do all the right things and miss the point. You can go to church, listen to Christian music, go to Bible study, go to small group, but if you don't show kindness to others, help somebody in need, Point a non-believer to Jesus. Right? If there's not evidence or fruit, tangible fruit of the Holy Spirit moving inward to outwardly in our lives, we're just going through the motions and we're not letting Jesus work into the root of the problem, the human heart. I think like any tree, to have a healthy tree, it can't just be healthy on the outside to produce fruit, right? The tree has to be healthy on the inside as well. For a tree to be healthy, it needs to be planted in good soil and it needs to be nurtured with light and water. 
Maybe like Jesus, maybe you're just hungry. Maybe you're hungry because it's lunchtime. But maybe you're not hungry for figs or food, but actually you're just hungry for Jesus in your life. If you're hungry for Jesus, I want to encourage you that you are in the right posture. I think desire of relationship with Jesus is the best place to start. And maybe you're hungry Maybe you're hungry for Jesus. Maybe you're hungry for that authentic relationship. Or maybe you're, you're hungry to see others to find that same relationship with Jesus that you have. But my question and challenge for all of us as I finish today is, where is the fruit in your life? Is there real physical evidence from the inner life to the outer life in your life? If you'd like to stand, I'm going to pray for us. And then you can go home. There's no more worship. Or you can finish your test. Either one. Stay after class. The teacher will need to see you. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us uh, to be able to receive your forgiveness afresh today. Lord, we pray that you would just remove any of the barriers that stand between us and you. Lord, we just confess in our hearts and bring them forward to you of anything where we've messed up, where we've gotten wrong. Maybe we've had wrong attitudes or desires or, or whatever, God. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that we would just fully receive your forgiveness, that you would remove our sin as far as the east is to the west. And Lord, may nothing stand in the presence and get in the way of the presence of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to forgive other people who have hurt us, Lord, those things that uh, live in our heads and our hearts and dominate our attention. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to let those go. Help us not only to forgive, but to forget. And Lord, I pray that you would produce real tangible fruit in each one of our lives. Lord, that you would fill us up with your Holy Spirit right now so that as we leave these doors today, God, Lord, I pray that people would see their, the patience, the love, the gentleness, the kindness of Jesus in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would be radiating so much the presence of the Lord in our lives, Lord, that it would be really easy to point people to Jesus. People would come up to him and ask, why do you live your lives this way? So Lord, we pray that you'd fill us afresh today. Forgive us, renew us, and send us in the power of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Awesome. Well, hope you guys have a wonderful Sunday. We hope that this message helps you to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Connect with us at classiccitychurch.org.